Well, uh, the sermon summary, let's start with that, shall we? Here's the sermon summary for today. The law's rigid requirement for oath-keeping lets us find rest in our covenant-keeping God. The law's rigid requirement for oath-keeping lets us find rest in our covenant-keeping God. Well, let's do a little review of where we're at. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, as Christians, we're super clever, so this is a sermon by Jesus given on a mountainside, so we call it the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, forever in history, that's what it'll be. So it's the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Remember, in this portion that we're in, it's sort of Jesus on the law, where he is correcting a wrong understanding of the law. So he's doing these statements like, you have heard it was said, dot, 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 and then he inserts something. But I say to you, and then he inserts sort of the the correction or the, the right view of the law that he wants these people to hear. What they are doing, remember, can be found when in, back in chapter 5 earlier when he says that they relax the law. And he's, he's very much speaking against them relaxing the commandments in verse 19 of chapter 5. So we're going to talk about this deal of oaths today. Now, you might not speak like that. This isn't like early English. It was a fortnight when I made the oath. You know, we don't quite talk like that. So maybe you need some, some help. So let, me, let me have some, some other words maybe that might be helpful, okay? Think of words like covenant, promise. Those are words, maybe even vows. Those are words that would fit here with oath as well. So when you hear oath, think of these other words. We're going to look at three things like we did two weeks ago when we looked at divorce. We're going to look first at, hey, what, what exactly did the law say? Let's clarify that. And then we'll look at what the Pharisees were teaching. And then we'll look at what Jesus taught and why that's so important and, and how it affects us today. So first we'll start with what the law stated. This is a reference back to the third commandment. So if you go back to Exodus 20, verse 7, here's what you'll read. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So that's what, they're, what, what is referred to here by Jesus. Notice it's not simply saying, which is part of the way they're taking it, it's not simply saying, don't use my name in vows. That's not what it's saying. He's saying, Don't use my name in vain. That's very important, that piece of it. Don't take my name in vain. So it's more than just using his name in a promise. Don't use my name and kind of use my name to bolster the the sentence, like to give it more uh, weight. And then hide behind my righteousness as you don't fulfill the vow. That's what he's speaking against. Like, like, don't do that. Don't use my name like that. That's what he's speaking against. So you also have Leviticus 19.12. You shall not swear by my name falsely. Swear by my name falsely and so, so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So again, not just, hey, don't use my name when you're saying a promise. Falsely is in there. Very important. Now, I found this very important, uh, very interesting. Deuteronomy 6.13 says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. So it's 
obviously not the commandment, just don't swear by my name, because here is a command to actually do that. So that in vain and swearing falsely, very important to what Jesus is going to say here. So that's what the law says. Don't swear by my name in vain. Don't swear falsely by my name. Now, what were the scribes and Pharisees teaching? How were they taking that and sort of twisting it and making it something differently? Here, essentially what they're doing is giving gradations to promises. You know, like these promises you really want to keep. If you use God's name, you got to keep it solid. But if you don't use God's names, you can use these other things, and those are sort of lesser promises. And so if you break those, it's not the end of the world type of thing. And so they were kind of getting by with uh, not keeping to their word because they weren't using the name of the Lord. So they created this whole, as they do, this whole theology of oaths from this very simple sentence in the law. And now they have this whole thing about what to use, when you can, and such and such. So they might have said, of course, had I sworn by God's name to keep my oath, I would have fulfilled it, but I didn't. I only swore by the earth, so I'm not bound to keep that one. That's not an absolute promise there. It leaves me room to change my mind. So they're taking the rigidness of the law, very rigid, inflexible, and they're sort of flexing it around certain situations and circumstances and that sort of thing. And Jesus says, no flexing with the law. None at all. It doesn't have conditions. It doesn't flex for anyone. There's no petitioning. It doesn't care what your circumstance is or what happened last night or what happened yesterday or how you grew up. Or it doesn't care any of that. It doesn't ask any of those questions. It just says, here's the statement. And, and, and there's no flexing with any of these things in the law and here with oaths that aren't followed up on. No allowances, no restrictions, no matter what. But what they did is start dividing these words and started saying, well, this word sort of means like this. So this happens at our house a lot. Um, it'll go something like this. A kid will be eating like an ice cream sandwich or like the fifth ice cream sandwich, right, before, before dinner. And I'm like, look, no more treats before dinner, okay? We're about to eat. No more treats before dinner. And then you go off and you come back and they're eating a bag of chips like five minutes later. Like what? I said no more. They're like, this isn't a treat. This is just a snack. It's different. You didn't say no snacks. You just said no treats. So I'm not eating treats. And that's, see, what, that, that's kind of what they're doing here with the law is they're, they're saying, okay, this word means specifically this, which gives you these other options. You see, what, see how they're doing that, making that flexible? They, they kind of added fine print, if you will. You know, if you look at, uh, at some sort of coupon or something, you, you see a lot of fine print at the bottom, don't you? It looks something like this. Look at this. This is really simple. It's just take 20, 15, or 10% off. You can do that. You just need a calculator. No, no, no. You need eight paragraphs of text to tell you all the conditions around this. You have to read the fine print. This is how they're approaching the law. Oh, there's tons of fine print under there. And Jesus is saying, no fine print. There's absolutely zero fine print, zero conditions, zero exclusions, zero. But the way they do it, it might look something like this. Don't swear by my name falsely. That's the statement. But here's what they've added underneath. You may swear falsely by any other name or object falsely if you so choose, however. 
You may swear falsely by places, big places like heaven, small places like the local coffee shop, or even smaller places like a food truck or a tiny house. You may swear falsely by the entire earth just to make it sound really big and impo- like a really big and important promise. That works well. If you don't want to go big, take it down to the country level, maybe even a city like Jerusalem, for example. That keeps the seriousness, but you keep a bit more comprehensible. You may swear falsely by an object, whether wood or plastic, man-made or God-made. It's all up for grabs. Any animal is fine to swear falsely by as well. A house pet, a large prehistoric animal that no longer exists. That keeps things interesting. You can swear falsely by your own body as well. Any part you would like. It's wise to make an important part, like your head, but not just your body, also anything on your body or anything that could go on your body, like a sweater or a pair of chinos. Again, just no swearing falsely by God's name. Come on, people. We are law abiders here. So remember, it's only about the words you use. It doesn't matter that you are a complete liar. Don't worry about that. As long as you don't use God's name, you're fine. The fine print. Got to read the fine print with these guys. They've made a lot of it. Do you see why Jesus, another verse that we talked about, verses we used back when we talked about divorce, do you see why Jesus might say something like this? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You tithe mint and dill and cumin. So you you tithe on the smallest little things, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and yet swallowing a camel. So it's just like the, the thing they were doing with divorce, right? Like we have the paper. We're good. Hey, we didn't use Jesus' name or the Lord's name. We didn't say Yahweh when we made that promise that we didn't make good on, so we're okay. This is how they're approaching this. Jesus, of course, will have none of it. And here he comes with what he's teaching, thirdly. Go back to the sermon summary. The law's rigid requirement for oath-keeping lets us find our rest, lets us find rest in our covenant-keeping God. Jesus is not encouraging here different speech, merely. He's revealing the rigidity of the law. Notice he says, don't take an oath at all, not by heaven, not by earth, not by Jerusalem, not by your own head. He's not saying choose different words merely. He's saying don't take an oath at all, make simple speech, just when you say you're going to do something, do it every time, and when you say you're not going to do something, never do it at all. It's extremely rigid. He's not coming and saying, hey guys, let let me teach you as I start my very important ministry to save the world. Let me um, start with some teaching on being truthful. It's really important that you be truthful. And um, this is how you should do this. No, what he's saying is, look, the law doesn't permit anything besides 100% truthfulness and 100% making do on your promises. That's every time, in every case, all the time. That's what Jesus is saying. So every time you say, yeah, I can do that, you do it. Every time you think, you know what I'm going to do, dot, 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 it's done. Every time you're, you, you have something on your schedule, you attend it. You're there. 
You never reschedule. You never let anyone down. You never stand anyone up. You never change plans. You never move a meeting. You never do any of that. 100% of the time. You never have to say, hey, I'm really sorry. I can't do this or that. God was not using the law to say, false promises are okay, just don't use my name. He was saying that there are, that the, the law, which is a picture of God's righteousness, allows for zero going back on any promises, on any oath that you make. Then Jesus adds in 34 through 36 that, uh, look, even if we go with your guys' ideas, it doesn't make sense because all the things you're swearing by are God's anyway. So even though you didn't use his name and you said heaven, well, guess what? That's his throne, so it's still by him. Earth, that's his footstool. Jerusalem, that's the city of the king, King Jesus. Your head, even if you, if you pro- make a promise by your head, you, can't even, you don't even have sovereignty there. You can't keep your hair from going white or falling out or both. Sorry, some of you. You can't do any of those, you know? You don't even have sovereignty over your own body. I'm in control of all things. And so they're completely missing the point, the scribes and Pharisees. There's no fine print. The law does not care what your circumstances are. It does not care about your excuses. It does not care about the, the, the things that have happened in your life. It's a rigid schoolmaster that bends for no one at any point in any way. It only condemns our lacking to live up to its perfect standard. Complete holiness, complete obedience, complete truthfulness, complete follow-through, that's the requirement of the law. No bending. So Jesus presents us with this, quote-unquote, simple way to speak and simple way to live. It's really simple. You should start tomorrow. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more comes from evil. Sounds simple enough, but I want you to hear why this is an impossible requirement for us. Because remember, in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing, especially here with the law, he's not like lowering the law. He's actually showing how the law is so high. He's pitching it so high or revealing that it's so high that no one could ever, ever fulfill the law. Thus, he comes and fulfills the law, right? So it all, it all works out. But why is this command impossible for us? For two reasons, I think. Number one, our sinful hearts, right? We're lazy. We're selfish. Uh, we think of ourselves first. We lack desire to love others. We lack desire to sacrifice often. Our desires ebb and flow. We find we can't be in two places at once. That, that has proved impossible for us. Um, we get fired from our jobs. Traffic ruins our timeline. Airlines delay flights. Our college plans change. Bills come in the mail that we weren't, didn't see coming. Our cars break down. Um, these, are things, these are things that we don't control as well. That's, that's the second point. Excuse me. That goes with we don't control our life. So the first, we're sinful and lazy and and uh, we, we don't love people like we ought to, all those things, right? And then we don't control life in general, so all these things happen. And we can't control it. You had this thing planned. You, you made a promise to do this, but then you got sick, or your job said you got to fly to the other state or something, you know? You didn't plan on that. You can't help that. That's why this requirement is impossible for us to keep. Our sinful hearts 
do a good job of keeping us from it oftentimes. And then just because we don't control all of life, we're not the sovereign rulers of the universe. And so that keeps us from obeying this command as well. Now let's talk about the importance of this command. I want you to consider the question as, as, you, as you read this in the text, you're going through and you're reading this, you might think, why in the world oaths? Like, what's the big deal of all the things Jesus is going to attack and talk about? Why would he pick this one? That seems weird. Why would oath-keeping be a part of God describing his holiness in the law? Well, I want you to also consider the question, do oaths play a role, a large role, in the history of God's people? Huge huge role if you think about oaths or covenants. He makes a covenant with Noah, doesn't he, in Genesis 9. I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. He makes a promise right there in Genesis 9. He makes a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a promise God makes to Abraham, to his covenant people. He makes a covenant with Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say this to them. The Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. A land flowing with milk and honey. There's another promise to a suffering people God makes. And then he promises some sort of new covenant in Jeremiah 31 and in other places as well. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with you, a new oath with you, a new promise with you. The house of Israel, the house of Judah. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. And all of these promises that we see in the Old Testament, they all find their yes in our Lord and Savior Jesus. And when Jesus in Matthew chapter 26, when he is having dinner with his disciples, and at the end he takes some bread and he breaks it. Read in Matthew chapter 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after he broke it, he gave it to the disciples saying, take eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it, drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, 
my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. All those promises coming to a head right there as Jesus talks about the covenant that He's bringing, this new covenant based on His blood. All we have to go on, I want you to see, all we have to go on is God's oath, God's promise. That's all we have to go on. How do I know I'll be saved? I'm taking God's word that Jesus Christ came to earth, He lived a perfect life, He died a perfect death, and that when I get to see Him at the end, and He says, show me your righteousness, Ryan, I'll say, I have none, but there's mine. And I'll point to Jesus, and He'll say, that'll do. That's my hope. That's our hope. I only have His Word to go on. I only have the promises that He stated in here to go on about that. That's called faith. Faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. An oath, a word. Romans 10.9, listen to this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm, I'm, I'm banking my entire life on that promise right there. All of it. God's got to keep His word on that because I'm banking everything on it. There's no fine print under Romans 10.9. None at all. Now, if there were, and, and the way we act a lot of times is something like this, right? Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. But, but we love to add all this stuff underneath. We're such little Pharisees and scribes, aren't we? This excludes committing the really big sins and any sin done more than five times in a month or sins done two to four times a month for three consecutive months. Also, if you miss two days a month of your Bible reading plan and fail to make them up, and if you ever have times of doubt or you doubt your faith or that God is real or wonder if the suffering is worth it or consider any position that doesn't agree with John Calvin, you're obviously out. If you don't know who John Calvin is, Jesus clearly can't help you at all. Obviously, we don't worry about gossip or gluttony. I mean, everybody does those, and those aren't really that bad, so don't worry about it. But other than that, you see what I'm saying? This is kind of, we, we do this, don't we? And we, we don't have the, the confidence in those simple statements from Jesus. If you believe in my name, you'll be saved. If there's any bending at all, if God ha- can, can go back on any of those promises, we're in big trouble. Because I don't know if, he, if he's going to stay with me. If it's about my ability to hold on to his promises, I'm in trouble. But if it's about his unending, relentless love grasping on to me, I'm good. Every day I'm good. And I'm going to be good for eternity because he's never going to let go. Because he's not a God who doesn't make due on his promises and his oaths. He's not a God, as Proverbs says, that puts his hand in the dish and doesn't bring it to his mouth because he's too lazy. No, this is a God that makes due on his promises every single time. So our hope resides in the fact that God will keep his covenant promise to us to the end. The sermon summary again, the law's rigid requirement for oath-keeping 
it lets us find rest in our covenant-keeping God. Listen to Romans 8, 38-39. Paul knows this well. I am sure neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because it's about His promise, and His promise is sure. Now, you might say, Pastor, listen, that's great, but you don't know what I've done. I've crossed lines I promised I would never cross. I've done things I, I said I would never do. Or maybe, you know, I haven't kept my promises to God that I've made. Or, you know, I look at my life some days and I really don't see a lot that points to my salvation. It's really hard to see anything, actually. How do I know I've not done too much bad stuff and he's turned his back on me? Hear the good news of the gospel. It's great news that your status with God isn't built on the flimsy little promises that we make. Promises that are super strong one day, like the day you come back from camp, you know? Super strong. I rededicated my life for the 56th time. This is the time it's going to stick. No offense to camp when you rededicate your life. You should go for it. But anyway, that those, do you see how those flimsy, flimsy little promises ebb and flow? But not God's promise to us. Instead, if you hear nothing else, hear this. Instead, our status with God, built solely on God's rigid holiness, His unbending commitment to His oath, no matter what. The covenant promise to save us on account of what Jesus has done, period. That's it. That's amazing. What relentless love. And my desire for us, Christ's community, is that we don't reject that relentless love, that we never tire of hearing about that relentless love, but that we spend our days feasting on it together. Over and over and over, feasting for as long as we're together. Now, as we end, I want to put a few verses up, and I want you to just kind of read over them and consider them as you think about God's promise and the fact that He is a covenant-keeping God committed to His promises Listen, read these verses, and consider that.